Today, we're catching up with the casual dining chain Earl's. I talked with Sherilyn Mason and Mark Laddick. Shortly after we recorded this interview, news broke of the passing of Earl's founder, Leroy Earl Bus Fuller. Bus Fuller was a self-made entrepreneur. He was born in 1928 in Ohio, and his father was a miner. In 1954, after fighting in the Korean War, he opened his first restaurant, a drive-in, with his wife Marilyn. In the late 1950s, Bus moved north to Edmonton and built up the A&W fast food franchise there, and then later in Vancouver. Fuller was an innovator. In 1982, he opened Earl's in Edmonton with his son Stan, and he's been credited as the first Canadian restaurateur to create an upscale casual chain. Leroy Earl Bus Fuller passed away the first week of October. He was 90 years old. We extend our sympathies to his family. Leroy Earl Fuller was a wounded Korean War vet who made a name for himself running a series of restaurant concepts and franchises. In 1982, he and his son opened a restaurant in Edmonton, Alberta. That concept proved a big success. And while that first location is no longer open today, there are 68 locations in the U.S. and Canada of a restaurant known as Earl's. On this episode, we'll talk with Sherilyn Mason, VP Store Development, and Mark Kladdick, VP of Operations at Earl's. Three, two, one. Live from Toronto, it's where we buy. <laughs> that was great. That's right. You're listening to Where We Buy, the show about the things we buy and the places we buy them. We are recording live on the stage in front of a studio audience at the Metro Toronto Convention Center at the ICSC Canadian Conference. My name is James Cook. I research retail and real estate for JLL. We're here in Canada today. Welcome, guys, Sherilyn and Mark. Thank Thanks you. for having Thanks us. Thanks for having us. <laughs> okay, so Earl's. I am very familiar with Earl's because I lived in Scottsdale, Arizona for many years, uh, and we had uh, Earl's right down the street from me. Um, but for those of us, uh, those listeners out there who haven't been to, the, to Earl's before, Maybe tell us what it's like to uh, eat there, what kind of food, what the ambiance, price points, that type of thing. Right. So uh, Earl's is a premium casual concept. Uh, you know, it's about the average footprint's about 7,500 square feet. There are lively spaces, an equal focus on the dining experience, the bar experience, and really the brand essence is about unchaining the chain. And what I mean by that is from menu to the actual design to the type of uh, service that we provide, it's really curated to each uh, market that we're in. Oh, that's interesting. So it's a little bit different depending on the market that you're in? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, it starts with the, the design itself. We have an in-house design team. And so everything is done with the market in purpose uh, and, and right down to the menu. And even the service offering is, is varies by location. So could you give an example of maybe a a different, you know, how something was tweaked differently for a specific market? Right. So when we opened up in downtown Boston, we just had, we had a lot of seafood on the menu versus, uh, you know, uh, more steak focused in Texas. So uh, just 
different types of proteins and, and, and what goes on the plate. You got to have a lot of steak when you're in Texas. Although, hey, Canadians love their steak too, they right? Do, especially in Alberta. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's talk a little bit more about where Earl's likes to be. I, I was looking at a list of some of your recent uh, openings uh, in the U.S. Like, uh, well, Tyson's Corners, you guys went in 2015, New City in Chicago, Assembly Row. These are pretty cool developments. Is that kind of where you want to be at? Yeah, I mean, we're focusing on the the high-profile retail nodes. Um, we feel like there's synergy with us um, locating where our guests want to shop, where they want to consume. So uh, we're targeting those demographics um, and those trade areas. When you're looking for a specific site in a market, are there certain, not necessarily co-tenants, but other types of restaurants, other types of retailers that you say, oh, I want to be around that? Yeah, I mean, we're um, we're we're discovering as we um, build out the U.S. Um, you know what our our co tenants look like, but I think um, I think food does better when we're together. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, let's talk a little bit more. Uh, you mentioned building out the U.S. What are your current sort of targets for expansion? Are you looking to expand only in the U.S. or Canada or? Or both? We're actually pretty active in both markets. Um, you know, that being a family owned operation, we, um, we don't have the same pressure for growth and store count that, uh, that publicly traded companies do. So, you know, we're really patient with our real estate decisions and really wanting to make sure, um, that we build legacy locations and, uh, that we're, um, we're in it for the long game. So as you're out there looking for new locations, is it, tough right now to find a, the perfect location for a new Earl's or the pickings getting slim out there? Uh, I, I mean, it's with the shift um, away from more traditional retailer retail, there's um, there's more opportunity being created on the food and beverage side, uh, which, you know, creates um, some great, great opportunities for us. Um, but, you know, having a really um, dynamic patio is really important to us. And so, um, you know, the, finding those type of opportunities sometimes become a little bit challenging. You, you bring up patio, which I think is interesting for a company that's based in, in Canada. Is it difficult to have an active uh, active patio when it's cold so much of the year? Yeah, yeah, uh, <laughs> for, for sure it is. Uh, but, you know, the way we're building our patios now, we're getting three seasons and some we're even getting four seasons with the type of infrastructure we're putting around it. So, uh, you know, we had our, our patio in our downtown Boston store open 11 months last year, as an example. Wow, in Boston. Yeah, in the snow, and people are out there in parkas, hanging out, having a good time. So just with the right amount of heaters, it's... And some strong drinks. Yeah, strong drinks, and it's, they're looking for that experience. So again, it's just a very curated, fun environment out there. I've been thinking so much about food delivery right now. How does Earl's think about food delivery? Uh, I mean, it's a new channel, uh, that we're working on and like everybody is, uh, I mean, it's been, it's been a huge success for us in, in Canada, especially where we get to our, our hub of restaurants in BC and Alberta, where we have a big, uh, uh, you know, several restaurants in each market. And so, uh, it's been huge for us in the U S newer markets where the brand doesn't have as much of a presence. It's been a, a small portion of sales, but it, it's, it's growing and it's here to stay. So we're trying to configure our, you know, our, our, how to do the takeout, how to do the delivery, make it seamless for the guest and for the, the guests at home. What are, what are some of the design challenges? Like say you're building a store, what do you have to do to account for delivery? Uh, well, we never, uh, before the takeout component was maybe 
half a percent of sales now in, in some of these big stores. We're getting up to 10 to 15% of total volume and it's all, it's incremental sales. So the, A, the kitchens are getting busier. So we have to be able to take care of the guest that's in the restaurant and be able to get that food out quickly. So, uh, space for the packaging, uh, figuring out new packaging. We have to, re- we had to redo all our packaging. So that's to make it, uh, you know, for the food to carry better than it had previously. So, uh, line space, takeout space, space for the drivers to, to stand. And even some of our urban locations where you can't really stop a car, we're having to figure out that we actually have to run the food out to the driver. So it's, there's a lot of complexity to it. Do you find with all that complexity comes a loss in profit margin for those delivery orders? I guess it, it really depends on how you look at it. There is a big cost. To it, everyone gripes around that. But if it's viewed as an incremental, if we viewed as an incremental sale, as an incremental sale, it, it, it you know, it, it is good business. Can we talk specifics about expansion plans? As far as do you guys have a target number or certain markets you want to talk about that you're moving into? Yeah, we're really um, in the U.S. We want to focus on um, developing um, the areas that we already have a footprint in. Um, we need, you know, when you when you grow and have uh, one location in a state, it's just um, we we really invest in our people and our training and development. And so um, with that, we've we've actually brought a lot of um, our Canadian employees down to the U.S. And so, you know, we really need some concentration to leverage our um, our regional um, employee base. So um, the, the the people development part of Earl's, we're really we really are a people development company um, selling food. Let's turn. I want to turn a little bit to the Earl's menu. Are there signature dishes that you're kind of you have a name for yourself with these dishes? For sure. Uh, I would say more so in Canada than in the US and more so in Western Canada than in Eastern Canada. Uh, there's some stuff that if we ever imagine taking it off, like our Hunan Kung Pao, which is a stir fry that's been on the menu West since the 80s, we made a probably a bad decision at one point to try to take it off and, and put an, an updated version on. And, and it was... Uh, Let's just say it was a, we got a lot of noise about it, so it was a, we had to put it right back on. But in the U.S., it's off the menu, and we've replaced it with something else. So uh, I think where we have a legacy, uh, there are there's a handful of dishes that 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 are core to the menu and have been for a very long time. Is that your favorite dish on the menu? I like the ribs. The I'm ribs. Big, the ribs have been on. I, I I grew up in the kitchen, so I used to prep those ribs at six a.m. Uh, so they're the smell and the the flavor it goes hand in hand for me. So you started out working in the kitchen at Earl's? Uh, yeah, as a dishwasher 25 years ago. That's fantastic. So you've seen the business from the inside out. I have, yeah. I've done just about every job there is to do. What value did you get, Mark, from you know working all of these different roles? Well, I, I think the, the magic of it is that I, I believe everybody should work in the service industry at some point because you learn to appreciate the, the, the effort that's being exerted by, by young people doing it. But uh, I, the lessons I got were that if you apply yourself, show, show initiative, there's always an opportunity ahead. And so I, I got that ingrained in me very early at Earl's by my chef. And I always just looked at the next job going, hey, I can I see myself being able to do that along the way. Uh, and I never expected to stay at Earl's. It was just a part-time job while I was in school. I'd add a couple other part-time jobs in the restaurant business, same sort of dishwasher jobs or cooking jobs. And this, the day I started Earl's, I just, I felt there was something very different about the company. I just, it was just, it was tangible in the type of people we were and the way we were spoken to and treated like human beings. (laughs) Oh, that's wonderful. I love it. So Sherilyn, what's your favorite dish at Earl's? The Santa Fe chicken salad. 
Santa Fe chicken salad. Okay, so we talked about food. We got to talk about drink. As the years progress, we've had this added focus on elevated bar menus and mixology and all of that. Has Earl's had to innovate on the bar scene to stay relevant? Oh, yeah. Uh, the, our, our drinks innovation has been as big or, or bigger than our food innovation. I think we were always a leader in the food space and premium casual, but, uh, you know, we had to do a lot of catch up probably six, seven years ago on the drink side. And, and now I can confidently say that our drink menu from the curated wine list, the 100% craft beers and the, 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 the handcrafted cocktails, that it's as good as, as any cocktail bar. Like we have a great old fashioned. If you're an old fashioned drinker, you have to come check, have one. So when you're rolling and our margaritas are good too. Yeah. Oh, you're known for your marks. Oh yeah. yeah. Ah, and what is it? Uh, the, um, what's a bloody Mary called up here? Caesar. And is there anything different about a Caesar or is it just a different name? It's, uh, instead of tomato juice, which is a bloody Mary, uh, we have clamato juice in a Caesar, which is a, a clam brine and tomato mix. That sounds it, delicious. It, it actually, it, it sounds horrible. <laughs> it actually sounds terrible. But once you have one, we actually have the Caesar on our menu in the US and it's, it's not listed, but we have a huge cult following around it because people say, Hey, I'd like a Bloody Mary. Our bartenders go, Hey, have you ever tried a Caesar? They're like, what's that? We say Clamato and they go, that's disgusting. And, and then they try one and they're, they're converted very quickly. All right. Well, I'm ordering a Caesar this evening. Uh, I actually need one right now. No. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's 916 in the morning. It's, it's Caesar it's time. somewhere. Right. <laughs> um, so when you're developing, when you realize, hey, we're behind the eight ball on drinks, we need to innovate. Are you bringing in, is there some mixologist you have to bring in to do that? Yeah, we hired a really talented gentleman by the name of Cameron Bogue, and he had done the bar development for Daniel Blude in New York. So he was, he's a Vink. He's from Vancouver originally, uh, moved out east, uh, cut his teeth in sort of the bar business in Vegas and New York and uh, is just a passionate, passionate guy. And if you go to his house, he actually has, you know, a 20 foot wall of Metro shelving with just different spirits. So he's got about every brand in there. So the guy's just loves loves the business and his passion is uh it spreads through the company yeah i think what he's doing for the industry um where he's partnering with the university of boston with the chemistry department um and we've created this cocktail lab in the main floor in our prudential center location um we're in a we're in a we're in a mall and we're we've got a 1500 square foot footprint on the main floor um and then you go up to our 10,000 square foot um restaurant upstairs um so we really needed to um, engage that that main floor space and create something unique. And so what Cam was able to do with partnering with the University of Boston um, and the um, the, the professor um, of the chemistry department was to, to create all this cocktail equipment. And so we run it like a, a DJ program where we have guest bartenders come in um, and they're, they're not paid. They come because they get to work on the best um, cocktail equipment in the industry. And so we've had um, guest um, bartenders from the White Lion, um, yeah, you know, world-renowned bartenders. For a chain restaurant to have a, a rotating shift of bartenders, they get to create their own drinks on a nightly basis that are off-menu, and we give them the freedom to do that. Uh, it's pretty unheard of for for that program. So, just so I understand it, you have a separate laboratory dedicated to the chemistry 
of of drinks in the Prudential Center in Boston. Yeah. This is amazing. Yeah, they make their own distillates. There's this rotovap, which they separate. Uh, all it's it's crazy. Like uh, smoke. That's all sort of. I don't even know what the stuff is. How, so, how it works. But it's so are profound. they set up in their own separate little area, and then people can walk by and like check them out? Yeah, there's a, a bar right there on the main floor, and so th- there's a huge staircase upstairs. But people can sit around the the bar top itself, and there's probably eight ten tables. And uh, and if you're down there, you can order drinks from their nightly menus, which we print there every day. Do you find that these well-known bartenders that are guest bartending do they have groupies that come just to check them out oh yeah oh yeah and i I think because it's hard in downtown boston it's hard to get space so a lot of the top cocktail bars are just outside of the core so for these bartenders it's a chance to speak to a different audience too so you know uh, they have their followers but they also have a brand new client base to 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 speak to well it sounds like you guys are really you know, you identify trends and you have the the freedom to be creative, to jump on them. Are there other big trends? I know we talked about delivery. Are there other big things going on right now that you're feel that you're seeing the the impact of big picture wise? For us, the the big learnings and the the curve that we're on right now is just understanding the US. Uh, you know, we went down there, I think a little naive at first, thinking that the guest profile was similar identical almost the same uh and we very quickly learned that that's a totally different consumer that has totally different uh value uh proposition so it's been a big it's been a steep curve for us learning the, the u.s markets i hear that a lot from both sides of the border uh because we visit each other's countries and we think Oh, it seems very familiar here. I think I'm successful in my country. I can be successful across the border. What's, I mean, what have you run into that's an example of something that you, that just didn't fly? Yeah, I, 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 there, there's a big list. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I think the biggest one was just what the, the amount of food on the plate and the price point. We went in with the exact same, which we think we have a great value offering in Canada. And so we just put it out there. And uh, our, our same store sales comps uh, in our first few locations started to really uh, show some signs of a guest count drop. And so we had to go back, look at every dish and just ramp up the what was on what, the amount on the plate up to 50 percent increase and tweaking the price points, uh, having a much more robust happy hour offering, because that's a big thing down there. So there, there's just a, a whole bunch of it. And it's, it's, it is paying off. We are learning those lessons. But even the service style, the uh the average U.S. consumer expects a uh, higher level of service than they do in Canada. So to, to summarize, uh, Americans want more more food for less money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, and I don't necessarily know if they want that, but that that is just ha- how the competition has played into it. So uh, I think on a comparable set, we have to be able to compete. Are there menu items uh, that you had to add to the menu as, as you came to the U.S. or that you took off the menu? Yeah, for sure. Uh, some stuff just didn't play. Some items didn't play. Some needed just to have the, the amount upped. Uh, but in, in Texas, for example, we have a queso fundido uh, that is the number two selling appetizer. And it, it does, we tried to put it elsewhere and it didn't really sell. So each, each market is just a little bit different. There's, there's just nuances to the menu. So we're here on the floor of the ICSE Canadian Conference, which is a place where a lot of retail real estate deals get done. 
Um, I imagine you guys have a few meetings scheduled for today. Back to back. Back to back all day. What are you out there trying to achieve? Um, what are your kind of goals for the day? I mean, for, for us, it's really, um, you know, getting ahead of uh, what's happening in each of the markets. Um, you know, we have a pretty long development schedule because we do our own in-house design. Um, and just um, everything's a custom build um, because we are unchaining the chain. So, you know, it, it does take us, um, you know, 18 to 24 months um, from kind of the, the time we start working on stuff to the time it actually opens. So so for us, it's really um, getting ahead of that curve so that we're fueling um, our future growth. You're actively looking for new locations, doing new deals, expanding. Because we are we are a legacy, um, a legacy brand, um, we, we've done 19 renovations this year of our existing footprint. So, um, you know, we've really been deploying a lot of capital in into our existing buildings. Um, and then also, uh, we've got three under construction. We've opened two uh, new ones recently in the Vancouver area, and we're going to open a, a third one um, in April. So, you know, we're actually pretty active um, in Canada and more active than we've been um, in ever. Ever. Yeah. You know, it's in, in Canada and even in the US, there's a lot of brands in the restaurant business that started in the 80s, uh, early mid 80s, and that the brands are getting, I think, frankly, tired and uh, there's a need to reinvest in it. And so we're, we're, trying to be the leaders in that so that the real estate community and the consumers out there see that, that there's always something fresh happening. When you do a store renovation, I imagine you're kind of like, oh, uh, things have really changed in how we view restaurants and since we built this, what, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. What what are the biggest changes you're making when you do that renovation? It's really um, uh, in the furniture suite. We're really understanding how guests um, utilize um, our seating and, and uh, we really understand how many two tops we need, how many four top. So we talk a lot about utilization of seats. Yeah. And I think we try to avoid getting into the kitchen and the bars as much as possible because that's when the, the cost just really goes through the roof. So as long as we can keep in the four walls and the guest facing areas, that's that, that's really the focus. So no, uh, no taking that kitchen, throwing it into the middle of the dining room and doing a big open kitchen or anything like that. No. And the temptation's always there because we went through phases where kitchens were wide open, then we closed them up. And now we, we our, our sense is that the guests want to be involved in the experience as much as possible. I think that's the trend. And so we still, we have some kitchens that are partially or completely closed off and we're always tempted to open, bring down walls. And then we just, the numbers just don't work out where there's a, a return on it. So, uh, Going forward, we try to make sure that we're seeing 20 years ahead for what, what, what the, how the spaces have to be built. Excellent. Well, I want to thank you guys, Mark and Sherilyn, so much for joining me today. I'm going to enjoy a Caesar uh, this evening as I think about both of you. Um, and it's been fad- fantastic. There's an Earl's two blocks away. You should go check it out. I'm on my way. <laughs> All right. Uh, for our listeners out there, if you've got a comment on today's show, leave us a message on the Where We Buy hotline and we'll use it in an upcoming show. Give us a call at 602-633-4061 and be sure to tell us your name and where you're calling from. If you want to hear more interviews, audio retail tours, new research insights, all you got to do is subscribe to Where We Buy on the iPhone podcast app, Spotify, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Or you can go to our website, which is wherewebuy.show. And a special thank you to ICSC that made this live podcast possible.
that's a wrap. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you, James.